Hello there, I'm Coach Will Love, and you're listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. We are fortunate to have Nabil Murad on this podcast. Coach Murad is from Ireland, and we are currently in Dublin right now. So I apologize in advance for the background noise because we're kind of meeting in a public area. But anyway, uh, Coach Murad has coached around the world, including the United States and and the UK. And he's currently coaching in Australia, where, among other things, he is the U16 men's national team head coach. Coach Murad, thanks for talking some basketball. How's everything in Ireland? Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. Thanks, Coach, for having me. Uh, if you don't mind, I just want to correct you real quickly. I'm actually in Austria, not Australia. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> I apologize no, for that. No, it's good because if somebody hears that I'm working with the men's national team uh, in Australia, then it's, uh, it's really high level. But, yeah, I'm currently based in Austria, and everything is going great in Ireland at the moment. All right. So, yes, I have had a pint. So, anyway, I apologize for that. Uh, Austria. So, Prior to you coming and meeting with me, you were putting on a clinic uh, where you talked about uh, implementing individual development plans within uh, team practices. So can you take us through some ways you're allowing for each of your players to kind of grow where they need to within that, that team activity of a practice? Yeah, of course. So I think uh, one of the constraints we have, let's say, in some clubs in Europe is that we don't have unlimited access to our players. So some teams would have two or three practices per week, and that's two or three team practices per week. So as coaches, we need to figure out how best we can develop our players individually uh, within these team practices. So one of the things that we do with our club is that at the start of the season, we're going to meet our players and we're going to do a performance profile review. And in that performance profile, we highlight eight to ten different areas the player needs to work on. And then we put that in a matrix where we figure out what are the top things that he needs to work on. We will then take the three things that he needs to work on or he or she that needs to work on and we will develop an individual development plan for that specific player. Each plan is between four to six weeks and therefore then within the team practices, when we're designing drills and activities, we will, we will uh, cater to that specific player's development plan. So if we're doing uh, a drill on dribble handoffs and if one of the players needs to work on on-ball defense, we're going to put him in on-ball defensive situations despite doing a drill on dribble handoffs. If another player needs to work on shot selection, well, after the dribble handoff, we might have a player in the corner who's drifting up and we're not going to rotate players equally in that drill. We're going to put players specifically where they need to in order to get multiple reps in what they need to improve on. And then every four to six weeks, we will review that plan with the players and then discuss whether we need to uh, move on to the next thing or whether they feel that they're comfortable to keep doing it. Uh, but it's, it's a cohesive effort between both the coaches and the players at all times. So, and we'll talk a little bit about this uh, later on as far as kind of um, athletes being involved. But wh- why is that important that you involve the athletes uh, through this process? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is that we are focused on developing the athletes. So the athlete has to come first. If we do something that we think is important for the athlete, but there is no buy-in, that means there will be more resistance, which means we're, going, uh, we're swimming uphill, we're swimming against the current. Um, and so when we can communicate with the athlete, identify why it is that they play basketball, then we're able to design activities that will cater to the what and how we do that to help them achieve their goals. Not all of our players are going to play pro basketball, so we need to identify why is it they're playing, and then we can design what and how. 
And by doing that, we get more buy-in. The players are more invested in their own development. So I think it's really important to get the players buy-in for that reason. So have you been successful with kind of this model? Yeah, I think, I mean, the problem with uh, defining success is it becomes sort of uh, biased. And I'll feel like my players are getting better with this. Uh, it's not always the case. Of course, some players take longer, some players take shorter. So I can't just base it off one season. I will say that there has been more transfer to game situations. And for me, that's the biggest kind of uh, evidence that there is improvement going on. All right. So uh, kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about coaching in Europe. So what have you found the biggest or what is a big growth area that you there is for uh, basketball coaches in Europe? So personally, in terms of my opinion, I feel like a lot of coaches in Europe focus on the technical and tactical. As a coach, I'm more focused on some other elements. I refer to myself as being an impact coach. And basically that means uh, providing skills in seven different areas. The first one is intelligence, which revolves around decision-making, problem-solving, creativity, and critical thinking. Then I've got mental skills, which is confidence, composure, commitment, and uh, concentration. The psychological skills revolves around emotional intelligence, leadership, and self-awareness. Athletic skills are all about strength, speed, ability to move, and ability to manipulate space. Then we've got communication, which is handling conflict, dealing with confrontation, negotiating, etc. And then the last two are technical and tactical. So whereas a lot of coaches focus on technical tactical, I think a huge area of growth for these coaches is to understand the role that the first five play in the development of their athletes. So you have experience coaching in the United States. And so, you know, is, what's, what would you say is kind of the difference between how what you saw when you were coaching in the United States versus uh, here in Europe? So firstly, I got I to gotta put this disclaimer. Even though I was coaching in the United States, I was specifically coaching in a high school basketball team. And uh, the high school basketball team was a private high school, which means we recruited our players. So I can't, and we obviously played in, the, in, the, in this uh, private league, so I was not exposed to all players. One of the things I noticed is we recruited real athletes i mean we're talking about players who could run jump uh who could who were able to read the game and as a result of having these kind of athletes it was just kind of designing set plays and systems for them where they could go on to be successful and of course part of that was developing them in that sense now coaching in europe the most of the game is not done through the school system it's done through the club system so that means Players are coming in after school, after a really long day, and coming into practice. Most, uh, some of our players are coming in from different situations, whether it's broken homes. Some players are coming from affluent areas, so we don't have them. Uh, we don't have access to the players in the same amount of time in schools, and each player is coming in from a different environment. So obviously, that was not in the case in the high school, where everybody is coming in from a more, um, how would I say it, a more consistent situation. So what has, in, in your time back coaching in Europe, I mean, have you seen a change in how basketball is approached in, in the culture? In terms of basketball change in Europe, the biggest change I've seen is in Irish basketball, where I do feel at the moment uh, a lot of coaches are focused on teaching through small-sided games, introducing constraints-led approach to their practices, uh, as, as a federation, I think there's been massive change in this modern coaching, which I think is really important for the development of athletes. In terms of other countries in Europe, uh, based in Austria at the moment, I'm still not seeing that. 
And um, in the UK, when I was there, I did not see that in terms of that. So it's good to see that Ireland is moving along with the times and adapting these best practice methods. So wh- why, why is Ireland picking this up? It's a good question. Um, I reckon it's, um, you know, guys at the front deciding to actually go out and talk to other coaches, maybe understanding and being open to change, understanding that, you know, we're not at the top of the spectrum and trying to figure out what can we do to help us improve. Uh, Maybe some other countries are already better than Ireland and so they don't feel like they need to change or it could be the leadership in those federations and I can't speak for every federation, but it could be the leadership in those federations are happy with where they are whereas our leadership lately maybe have been more open-minded and are looking to learn from others. So I think it's a good model we have at the moment. Uh, quick personal question. So Ireland and Austria played the other night. Who were you rooting for? Ireland, 100%. <laughs> I'm Irish. I can't say anything else. <laughs> All right. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Irish, well, Ireland got off to a good start, but then uh, saw that Austria started hitting some, hitting some threes. Yeah, well, actually, I, um, I was at the Irish practice. I was at the Irish team practice the day before they flew out to play Austria. And so I was talking to some of the coaches and players. And, um, you know, and then after the game, I was talking to the assistant coach, Puff Summers, about some of the things. Now, we're not where we need to be yet, but we, are, we have moved on and developed at such a huge rate compared to a few years ago. We've got some of our players who are playing professionally in Spain. We've got Aiden, who's coming from the States, you know, and uh, CJ Fulton is playing with Lafayette University in the States. So we are moving in the right direction. It's going to take us a little bit longer, but I feel like our development is on the right uh, direction. I I was really excited um, when we uh, got in contact because uh, I've been really interested in the stuff that you've been posting on Twitter. And... uh, I know that you're very thoughtful when it comes to coaching. So what are some of the principles that guide you when it comes to coaching? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, thanks for following me me on Twitter. Um, When it comes to coaching, I really want to make sure that I'm doing what's best for the players. Um, And then understanding that every player has a different reason why they play. Not everybody wants to be an elite basketball player. Some players just want to get out of that environment at home, which might not be safe. Excuse me. Some players want to come and play basketball because they want to be around their friends. And so as a youth coach, especially, I want to make sure that I'm catering to every player. In the club that I'm coaching at the moment, we're in a small town of 10,000 and we are not recruiting from outside our town. So my job in this situation is to, you know, make basketball really popular. So we have every kid choosing basketball as the number one sport and then keeping all these kids playing basketball for as long as possible and so that we can help them develop to the best of their ability. Each one is individual. I need to put that at the forefront of my coaching. They're all individuals. They all have different needs and I cannot treat them as one size fits all. So um, this kind of leads me to a question that I know that a lot of coaches in the United States, whereas um, in the past they could just rely on having three to four teams, uh, sometimes five teams at the bigger high schools. I know that um, a lot more coaches are having to recruit. Uh, so you're recruiting in that small town. How are you making basketball the sport that the kids want to participate in? Well, we, we try to make sure that the first thing is word of mouth. So we do a lot of stuff in terms of um, making kids 
have engagement, have fun within the practice sessions so that when they go into schools, they're talking about how great of a session they've had. We try and have open days or friend days where each player on the youth program brings in a friend to just try out basketball. Um, I do a lot of visits to the schools and anytime I go and visit a school, my number one objective is to make sure the kids have the most fun they've ever had playing basketball. And it just leaves that impression in their mind that basketball is fun. They don't think that coach is fun, they think the sport is fun. So they're more likely to come and try out the sport. We do a lot of um, you know, school visits, we do a lot of uh, tournaments where we invite different schools to play 3v3 tournaments. Uh, especially during COVID, we released a lot of videos uh, with some fun challenges, some activities that players at home could follow. So we try to stay engaged with what's going on in the community. We try to visit. I know especially I visit a lot of the different sports like football, handball, hockey, uh, just to steal ideas, see what they're doing and see how they're attracting players. So I'm trying to learn as much as possible and just improve our club every day. If I were to come to one of your practices, what would it look like? It depends which practice you come to. Uh, each practice for us is different. So just to give you an idea, last season I worked with the under-16 A team in our club as well as the under-16 B team. Now, if you were to come to those two different practices, you would see entirely different things because, again, um, the team that I'm coaching reflects my coaching style at that moment in time. So I try to adopt a situational leadership approach, which means... Um, Depending on the context, depending on the players, depending on the situation, my style changes. With the A team, we have a lot of high standards. Uh, with the B team, we're trying to make sure that they have a lot of fun. We do have some standards and it's important to keep true to them, but we're not going to hold them at such a high level that they, um, that they lose their engagement and fun. Now, if we talk about the A team, you're going to see a coaching style which is not in your face screaming. It's very, very flexible depending on which player I'm working with. I might push some players more. I might step back with some other players. My feedback is more through tweets rather than status, uh, Facebook status updates. So I'm trying to coach on the fly. I'm trying to get guys moving. I'm trying to get guys staying high on task. Every drill as much as possible. We want a decision-making element out of it. We want our players actively solving problems. So you'll see me give our players a lot of individual timeouts where they have to come up with solutions. Some, some of the times our players don't like it, you know, because they have to think a lot. But a lot of the times I'm trying to put our players front and center and say, you know, if he needs leadership, then I got to step back and allow him to be a leader. If he needs to learn how to communicate, then I got to step back and allow him to learn how to communicate. I will guide, I will support. But for the most part, I want our players in those situations making those decisions and actively learning through that me method. Uh, from the club, what, what's, what's their expectations for you? What, what are you there to accomplish? Um, I guess my job as a youth sports coordinator is to align our youth program, um, which basically means developing a pathway for all our players so that from the ages of under eight, there's a consistent program and a development plan for each player to move up to the top levels. My, my specific or most important responsibility is to allow players in the under-19 levels or the junior program to transition into our senior team. So we want players to come, up, uh, to come up through the system. Like I said, we are in a small town. And even in our senior team, we're not looking to bring in import players. We want our own players from our own town to play in our pro team at the highest level. We want to give them the contracts. We want our players to play in front of our fans. So it's really important from a development perspective that we're putting players on the right pathway 
that we develop them so that they have the skills to perform at the highest levels. Uh, so like tonight you were uh, putting on a clinic. When you're talking with other coaches, what are some things that you uh, suggest to them to enhance their practices? The, the main things that I'm trying to get are, uh, other coaches when I speak to them in terms of development uh, to enhance their practice is one, that they have to understand how learning happens. If we're coaches and we're trying to teach players to do things, then we need to understand the learning process. Um, and, and the phrase I use is, we want our players to be apes. And by apes, I mean we want them to be attentive, participating, and engaged. If we, if we don't have players attentive, that's when you've got guys foc- uh, not, not focused, they're being disruptive, they're not paying attention, and learning is not going to happen. If they're not participating, then the chances of them retrieving and retaining the information you're giving them is not going to happen. If they're not engaged and solving problems, then the chances of them transferring those skills to the games uh, is reduced. And actually, you know, uh, an interesting piece of research by Janet Metcalf says, when players are repeatedly solving problems, as opposed, as opposed to repeating solutions to problems, learning is enhanced. And so that's the main thing that I'm trying to get play, uh, coaches to understand. Put players in positions where they are attentive. Get players in positions where they're actively participating and they're engaged. And that was going to help you guys transfer skills from practice to games. So I want to focus a little bit on uh, the idea of communication. So what do you typically find coaches get wrong when it comes to communicating with their players during a practice? Um, a range of different things. We will start with uh, coaching. And when it comes to coaching, uh, a phrase that I robbed from Coach Alex Sarama is using a sniper rifle uh, instead of shotgun. So a lot of coaches will try and come in and fire off shotgun, which basically means they're firing off multiple pieces of information at the players at the same time. Now, the, the problem with this is it gives off the impression that you're doing something. But players are only able to hold on to new pieces of information to a maximum of three. So instead of doing that, if we use the sniper rifle to target specifically one piece of information and help them focus on that, then we're more likely to help them improve. Um, An interesting quote I heard recently from Tyler Coston from PGC Basketball. Anybody in the stands, anybody watching the practice can identify the problems. That's not what makes a coach. What makes a coach is the ability to identify the one piece of information that that will most impact the players at that moment. So I think when it comes to communicating, a lot of times we are doing too much as opposed to doing the right thing. So uh, reading some of uh, your posts that you have that I'll let you talk about at the end, um, but you talk about the idea of communicating in multiple ways. So can can you kind of describe what that is and then just some ways that coaches or some things coaches should consider when talking uh, or communicating in multiple ways? Yeah, so I think um, when it comes to communicating in multiple ways, I mean, again, we have to take into account, you know, different players and different systems. Um, One thing I I really look at and uh, observe in other organizations is how players seem to be focused when playing PlayStations, how players seem to be focused when looking at their phones and scrolling to Twitter. And that's all visual communication. So the question then becomes is how can we visually communicate to our players? But it's not only one element of visual communication, it's also the other element of um, the intermittent variable rewards. So that when players are on their phones, that they're given this reward every now and again, and that there's a huge amount of research on that. But if we in our practice can also communicate 
through our drills and our, and our, and our problem-solving activities where there's intermittent variable rewards, then we're more likely to engage our players. Now, this is an area that I'm still trying to learn uh, and research on, but I, I have been trying to do this more and more. So when it comes to communicating, I'm going to try and step back and communicate through keywords. I'm going to try and get our players to communicate to one another. I'm going to try and get our players to draw up the diagrams on the whiteboard. I'm going to try and get our players to communicate on WhatsApp to one another. I mean, communication is huge. I'm actually going to show up late to practice sometimes so that players have to figure out what to do. Now, the problem with that is if you're late to practice, you owe, you owe me push-ups. If I'm late to practice, I owe them push-ups. So I will take the push-ups gladly, but I'm actually on time. I'm just standing in the corner where they can't see me and, and I observe kind of what they're doing. Are they getting started? Um, I will occasionally inflict conflict and then step away just to see how they deal with conflict. Um, there's a lot of different things that I try to do, but mainly it's trying to push them outside their comfort zone so that they can communicate more and more. We do have a communication scale in practice. Uh, it's not, um, it, it basically I got it from Alan Stein when he was a pure sweat. Uh, you know, you get a zero for no noise. If it's high fives and fist bumps, you get a one on the communication scale. If it's, you know, hey, good job, that's two, and so on, until we have relevant information, which is a five. And every now and again, we'll stop practice and say, guys, where are we on a scale of one to five in our communication? The goal is to be in a four or five. And so the guys know exactly where they are on the scale, depending on what they're doing. That's just another way that I try to enhance communication in our practices. Do you find that providing them a vocabulary is helpful in that situation? I think a lot of times we hear, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, saying, you need to talk out there. You need to talk out there and then realize, well, they probably will talk, but it might not be... Um, useful yeah so i mean that's another part of it so uh the first thing is why they're not talking and one of the things that i've realized is through asking the players is they don't know what to say so what we do initially is we just get them to talk their action so if you're standing in the key doing nothing i'm standing in the key doing nothing that's literally what you're saying if you're guarding the ball i'm guarding the ball and so the idea is that we just want to get them outside their comfort zone and used to their own voices so once they're used to their own voices, I feel like then we can narrow it down and get specific with the terminology. Uh, we would do a couple of different things within the practice, especially with some of the, our youth teams, to keep things engaged and fun. So for example, uh, this is especially popular with our under-14 team. When they make passes in practice, instead of shouting the name of the person they're passing it to, they're going to shout out a random, uh, you know, a, a random Disney princess name. And that just makes it fun. But the objective there is just getting them used to hearing their own voice. And slowly once that you know, um, self, uh, self-confidence starts to increase, that self-esteem starts to increase, now we can give them more, you know, more directive things to say. Uh, some of the things, for example, is I don't like players saying ball, ball, ball when they're guiding the ball. I want them to say, I'm right here, I got help. Who's on my right? Who's got help? I want them to be more instructive with their communication. And that is something I need to develop and train them to do. So yeah, it takes some time but it starts with them getting used to and comfortable with their own voices first. What about, what about yourself as a communicator? I mean, what, uh, how have you developed over, over the years? Uh, initially, when I started coaching, the perception of a good coach was somebody standing on his feet, yelling constantly, you know, upright, constantly roaring. And it was, if somebody comes into my practice and doesn't see me active, then I'm not doing my job. 
that has transitioned a lot, especially now that I've grown a little bit more confident in what I'm doing. And so I'm less likely to talk because I feel that if I'm constantly communicating and constantly talking, then I'm denying them the opportunity to talk. So I need to be careful about when I, you know, get myself involved. At times, I need to talk more. At times, I need to talk less. And again, it's all situational. An interesting example is, you know, just before we finished up the season, we were in the finals of the under-16 championships. And one of my players came up to me and said, Coach, we really need you to be active and communicating today. That's what we need. And so straight away, it's like, all right, the players need this. Then I need to adjust and give them what they need. Now, if he came and said that to me every single practice or game, I wouldn't do it. But the fact is, in that moment, at that game, that's what he needed. That's what the team needed. So I was able to be more vocal. Interesting enough, some of the parents afterwards noted, like, yeah, you seem really angry today. I was like, no, I wasn't angry. It's just that the players asked me to bring that energy in this game. So, yeah, I adjust to what the players need. All right. So uh, to go back to kind of the players, uh, you had a post about the importance of player-led activities in regard to development. In that, you list a bunch of different elements, but one of the elements that you identify uh, is it leads to the enhancement of communication. So how are you incorporating this with uh, your, your players in, in regards to the player-led activities? Yeah, so with the player-led activities, and there's a, different, there's a bunch of different things that I try to do, but just, just to keep things simple is I will come into a practice and we will have our practice plan on the wall And then we might ask our captain uh, to just go ahead and lead that practice. And he knows the drills and everybody knows the drills. So, But he will explain the details. He will explain the rotations. It gives him the chance to communicate. It also gives gives everybody else a chance to see that, you know, he's somebody I trust. And so that in a game situation, in a practice situation, they begin to trust him. They begin to listen to his voice. And so I'll do a little bit of that. that's one way where, you know, that captain, that leader feels confident that he's trusted by the coach. He feels confident that he's trusted by his teammates. Uh, another one of those things I do is in timeouts, I might just give the board to one of the players and ask him to take the timeout. It's very difficult initially, but most of our players now have understood that this is not a game. This is not a joke when I do that, that they actually tune in and that they've been given this opportunity because I trust them and I feel that they will do a good job. The rest of the team have bought in now where they where they are sitting down, attentive, listening to what their teammate has to say. It's nothing new that the players say. A lot of the times, they're, all, they're just going to repeat what you've already coached them to do. But it's getting them used to being a leader. It's getting them used to communicating in public. Uh, most young players do not like communicating, do not like communicating to their peers. They would rather text, but you know they're not going to communicate effectively on the court. But by putting these in situations, whether it's halftime, whether it's in timeouts, whether it's pregame, by constantly putting players in these positions, I'm, con- I'm trying to develop players. Now, it's, again, it's very difficult. There's two of my players who are leaders, but they're not communicators. And they will lead by example and they will lead on defense, but it's very difficult for them to communicate. So what I want them to do in terms of developing their communication, which is important, initially is just high-fiving their teammates. Uh, it's just keeping a positive body language. So this is more body language communication. It's more fist, uh, fist bumps and high five communication. Eventually, I'm going to start trying to get them to say, hey, good job. Hey, uh, nice pass. And then slowly build them up because everybody is at a different phase. Another one of our players, he's already you know, more confident. He's now calling in huddles and calling out adjustments on the court, which is great to see because that's what you want. 
I don't want to be the coach that's shouting out every adjustment from the sidelines. I want my players being confident that they can make adjustments on the court. So these are some different ways that I'm trying to incorporate that, um, you know, the communication skills within our practices and allowing players to lead this um, so, so as to help their development. Uh, how do these concepts um, differ between your club team and the national national team? Well, the national team really is, I don't have them for as much. So with the club team, I have them all season. With the Austrian national team, basically, um, when I come back from Ireland, when I fly back to Ireland, so when I fly back to Austria, I'm going to meet the team for the first time. And so how it works with the national team is I get to see the team 28 days before our tournament, which is a very short period of time. And the initial phase, the initial camp, is all about setting the culture and tone how we're going to practice. But we can't spend too much time on that because we really need to ramp it up and move on to more of the stuff that we will do. So as a result, I don't really have the same level of influence in developing their communication, their leadership. And it's just hoping that we've selected the right players who already have the skills that we need. So it's very different from you know, selecting players to fit in already or developing players that we, already, that we have and we just need to them to develop. With the national team, is there infrastructure that you're kind of putting in place, though, to kind of hit on these things uh, beforehand? Or is it just something that uh, you get them together and you gotta got to focus on with, uh, with, with the time that you have? There is a little bit of infrastructure, but it's not as solid as we would like it to be. Of course, this means it's just another point of development as we move forward and build this program up. Uh, when the players come in, we already have a couple of ideas of what systems we want to run. We already have a couple of ideas of what our non-negotiables are and some of the big three, the big three meaning the three things we want to be great at. So because we already have these ideas, and especially in our first camp, we can really set the tone um, what is acceptable in practice. And one of the things that's you know, going to be a non-negotiable is communication of some sort. I can't set the standard too high because I haven't met the players yet. Uh, and of course, the players coming in, are, they need time to get used to me. Some of the players are returning players who are used to me from last season, and I'm already hoping that these guys have developed and have retained some of the information we gave them last season. But it's a big difficulty in the sense that I have not spoken to them for the entire uh, duration since the last summer. Partly because I didn't know if I was coming back or not, and that was a late decision. So um, it's going to be something where we adjust very quickly within the first couple of training camps. I, I really appreciate your time. I just got a couple more questions. So uh, what has basketball meant for, for you? I think basketball has really given me a purpose in life in the sense that I feel like this is something that I'm able to give back to society. I'm, I feel like I'm able to really impact a young person's life and that means a lot to me just to play a small role in in believing in somebody when nobody believes in them in helping them achieve their goals when they when they feel they're not confident there's a lot of young kids out there who've got problems and when we focus on technical tactical skills sometimes we miss them but if we can create a safe environment where these kids can come in and they're welcomed and they feel like they belong and they feel like they're accepted for who they are and they're given an opportunity to develop to the best of their ability, whether it's a basketball player or just as a human being, then I'm privileged and I, uh, I'm humbled just to play a small part in that. So I feel like basketball has really given me a purpose in life. All right, final question. What are some growth areas for you as a coach that you're working on and how are you going to kind of achieve these, do you think? 
So I think we talked about this very briefly at the start. I'm currently learning uh, three meta skills, so to speak. I want to continue to learn how to learn. I want to continue to uh, develop my communication skills and my thinking skills. Um, and so at the moment with communication, I'm really diving into the storytelling aspect. I feel like if I learn how to be a better storyteller, I'll be able to you know, communicate better in a way that people will be able to retain more information, um, more of what I'm saying. I feel like if I can communicate in stories, people will be influenced more and um, I won't have to have as many conflicts to, I guess, you know, persuade people. Uh, I'm also thinking about thinking skills, which sounds kind of weird, but I feel like a lot of times when we make decisions, we just look at the next action. I want to get to a stage where it becomes second nature to me that I'm not just looking at the next action, I'm looking at what the consequences of the next action will be and how I can already develop contingencies for that. So learning how to learn, learning how to communicate and learning how to think are my big growth areas. Uh, I'm reading a lot, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm watching a bunch of YouTube videos. Um, yeah, I'm just constantly learning every day to, to grow in these areas. Well, Coach, I really appreciate your time. I thank you so much for uh, making, uh, making your way down here and, uh, and talking. Yeah, I appreciate you, Coach. Thanks for having me. And uh, I definitely hope you have a good time in Ireland for the rest of the evening and you have a safe flight to Iceland tomorrow morning. I appreciate it. I've already had a good time in uh, Ireland, so thank you. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com. 